Welcome, welcome to 13 Nights. Let's get spooky. Tonight's episode is really creepy because it's about basically everybody's worst childhood fear. Mm-hmm. And that is summer camps. Did you go to a summer camp ever? No, I was too big of a chicken. Did you? I mean, I just said I watched Friday the 13th as a kid on the last yeah, episode. Yeah, I, so. I did not go to a camp as a kid. You There's four of us. Like, no way my parents, well, five of us, but no way my parents could afford to send to freaking all of us to camp. I, I swear you went to a kid. Um, I went to a cheer camp, if that counts, mm, at no. Alabama University, Roll Tide, and for, in high school when I did cheerleading in high school, because I've already talked about cheerleading twice on here, and let me tell you, <laughs> I'm not a fan. Um, but yeah, I did cheer camp, but I don't really count that, because we stayed two nights in a dorm. It wasn't, like, actually true camping, but I... Yeah did not ever go to a sleepaway camp as a kid i probably would have cried the whole time because i was a freaking big ass baby as a kid mm-hmm. i remember one time we did this lock-in when i was like 13 and i was terrified and i ended up staying because i literally thought we were locked in and couldn't get out i would have just <laughs> called my mom but that was like the extent of my overnight stays with like multiple mm-hmm. people i just i wasn't into it not never did thing. it Preparing for this episode really made me think of the last season of American Horror Story, 1984. It was like a super mm-hmm. like slasher, yeah. 80s themed haunted summer camp. And I think it was my favorite season other than Murder House. Did you watch really? it? I did not watch 1984. I've been trying to, but I can't find it anywhere. So fail on me. We watched all of American Horror Story, me and Connor. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I think my, you know, everyone... A lot of people hate this season, but I love Coven. Murder House is my number two. Coven's my number one. And Roanoke is my number three. And y'all that shit on Roanoke, mm-mm. go back and watch it. Don't shit on I, it. It's great. I've never seen Roanoke. <gasps> Roanoke actually season. scared me. Like, I was, like, I would, like, scream at the Is that about the, the people in the woods? Is that Yeah, it's, it's, like, yeah. Um, and it's, like, filmed, like, um, documentary style, style where, like, they're, they have people playing them and they're, like, making a a film out of it but then they are like interviewing the actual people it happened to mm-hmm. i think it's great i think it's... i haven't seen that one or the one about the clowns oh freak show yeah not i good. think that's the only two seasons that i haven't seen freak show it sucks i liked cult too a lot of people don't like cult either so i don't know Maybe that's just where my mind is. Y'all can judge me if you want. Maybe I have a weird brain, but... I liked Colt. That was the first season that Randall and I watched together was Colt, and... I thought it was great. Mm, yeah. I think yeah. that all of their seasons are just, like... It's weird, but they're beautifully written. Like, yeah. I was really... I thought Hotel was good, too. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it was okay. I think ho- hotels, though, when it, like, they first start actually tying stuff together. And then Apocalypse is okay, but it wasn't as great as it could have been. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> anyways. Yes. We could talk about American Horror Story. <laughs> We're going to turn this into, like, American Horror Story podcast. Um, but, yeah, okay. I, I have not seen 1984. I'm a horrible person, but I really love Kevin. Well, my story is in your state tonight. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's in Malibu. Wow. Um, what's that song by Miley Cyrus? I never went to the beach. I don't know, but have you heard her cover of Heart of Glass? Yeah, it's all over TikTok. I love it. (laughs) Oh my gosh, Miley Cyrus. People might hate on her, but she's a freaking bad bitch. Yes. She said, screw stereotypes. I don't need no man. Anyways. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so I'm going to be talking about a summer camp and it's in Malibu, California. It's called the Lazy J Ranch and Lazy J Ranch is now closed. And I read that they closed when the camp director or the owner of the camp passed away and the cost, they just became too steep to handle. I believe they were planning to move the camp to another area, um, but I don't think that they were able to follow through with that. The camp was founded in 1945, and it originally had 165 acres, which is a huge camp, like, huge. Mm-hmm. Kids could get away with literally anything in that amount of space, I feel like. Jeez. <laughs> so, they, um, this family relocated to California in the 1940s, and when I was, like, doing research on this episode, it made me think a lot about the new show, or it was new ish um show on netflix called hollywood have you seen it Mm-mm. it's a fantastic show if you haven't seen it jim parsons literally made the show it's his best performance ever um i hate the big bang theory i think that show is just awful and stupid Ooh, what? so yes i i, I had the kind big bang of theory. funny 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 no, it's awful, Penny. but I had, like, kind of, like, a bad taste in my mouth from this guy, mm-hmm. but he came in, and he owned his character, and he just did, like, an outstanding job. But anyways, oh. like, in the show, is in the 40s, and a lot of people that moved to, like, Southern California, they came for one reason, and that's showbiz, mm-hmm. and the picture shows were really starting to take off, and it was a dream of a lot of people to be on the big screen during that time, but not for the person that started this camp. She actually had a lot of people approach her because she was extremely beautiful, and they would ask her to join them in Hollywood. They'd ask her to auditions. They would ask. They would even offer to just cast her for roles even without auditioning her, and she turned them down every single time. Hmm. And she was, she was a teacher. She was a school teacher, and that was just her true passion. She didn't have, like, any desire to do anything other than work with kids. And she taught at the School of Progressive Education, which was across from the Hollywood Bowl. And she taught a lot of movie star children, and she bonded with them, and she just built connections with the parents. And in the summers, in between school sessions, she would invite the parents and their children to her property, and she would teach them various outdoor skills. She would teach them things like how to saddle a horse, and how to hop on and ride. And she was just such a good teacher that the parents were, like, 
why don't you just start a summer camp and offer this to a lot of children instead of just, you know, the elite few? Mm -hmm. So she did, and she founded the camp in 1945. And before her death, she was asked how many children um, her and her counselors have taught over the years, and she said, oh, I have no idea. Thousands. Thousands and thousands. So, I mean, that's a lot of kids that Mm -hmm. pass through these doors. And one thing that I found very interesting about Lazy J Ranch was all the parties that they would have. The camp director was known for hosting killer into the summer and even holiday parties over the years. It started out as just like a thank you to all the hard work the counselors put in over the summer, but then the counselors would bring their friends or the counselors would bring their parents and they would just start bringing people and so um, the parties grew and grew. And they grew and they provided entertainment and hospitality to all these guests, including those movie stars that were like the original parents of her um, kids that she taught. And I think we've talked before about how Hollywood has had like a lot of, has a lot of haunted places and a lot of high level activity. And it's probably because of like the fame and the stardom was just so desired by so many people. And it was just their passion and that's what they gave their all to is just becoming famous and being in the shows and being in the spotlight that they continue to long for it in their afterlife. So these parties might be where spirits still linger because that was the closest that some people or like the counselors got to interacting with famous people. Like think about it. If you want to be a star and you want to network and connect and you're a counselor at this camp, and you go to this party, this is your chance to, like, maybe make it big. So they think that's what they suspect some of, like, the activity is from. So, I don't know. It was just something I was thinking about. But after researching a little about Lazy J Ranch, I found a post on Reddit. Anyone can look it up, and I'll just read it off the page. I'm not going to paraphrase or anything like that. Um, So if anybody wants to look it up on Reddit, that's where I found this. And it says, I wanted to share something that I recently recalled happening to me a while ago. There was a camp in Malibu Canyon called Lazy J Ranch Camp, and my parents sent me for two weeks when I was eight or nine, and it was the only sleepaway camp that I made my parents pick me up early from. I went to a bunch of SoCal sleepaway camps and have never experienced anything like this in my life. I slept in my parents' bed for like six weeks after. The camp had a lot of land, and there was a lot of mountains, and it was literally in the middle of nowhere. And the boys' barracks were directly behind the outdoor stables for the horses, yet there was no stable, and they could chain the horses up directly, like, behind our cabin in a big race polo-type field. In between the box and the fence, there would be this chain that the horses um, was, like, like a five to six foot slope dirt hill that hit the foundation of the bunk. I guess he means like the barracks. One day, six or so of the boys in my cabin were throwing pebbles at the girls' barracks, and we used the path behind our bunk to sneak in and out of the bunk without our counselor noticing. We ran back and forth, exhausted playing this game, until the six of us ran back for a final time through the alleyway just below the horse fence. As we were sneaking back, we looked up and saw a girl. She was maybe seven or eight years old, and she was sitting on top of the horse fence bar, which was leveled to the roof of the barracks. 
Someone from the six boys said something like, Hey, what bunk are you in? We won't throw rocks at that bunk if you don't say it was us. And the girl started like swinging back and forth on the fence, using her hands to support her. And we were all like, WTF is she doing up there? Someone else from the ground shouted at her and was like, do you even go here, horse girl? Because we could see this kid like clear as day and she was not in any of the box, nor had any of the three mills with our age groups this throughout the week. Within seconds, the girl looked behind her as if something came up to her like a horse because she was looking to pet it, but we couldn't see past the fence because it was on a small hill above us. Within seconds, this girl was thrown from the fence and did some like somersaults down the hill and she was all contorted and she came to rest about five feet in front of the first person in the alley. I was behind him and we all freaked out screaming like little girls because this girl was like a pretzel lying against the foundation of our cabin slash barracks slash bunk slash whatever you want to call it. We screamed so hard and ran to our counselor and he got up and went back out there and I swear to God there was nothing there. We had run maybe 30 feet around the corner from where this girl was lying to get an adult and there was nothing Mind you, this is a group of eight-year-old boys, none of us over the age of ten at this point. Our counselor got so mad at us, but too many of us had seen it to just let it be, and we all wanted to go home that minute. Some of the kids that saw it were so scared they had full-blown tantrums to get their parents on the phone. Our counselor had to call the owner of the camp, like the CEO manager, the guy that you're scared of with a walkie-talkie and a <laughs> golf cart, and we all told them what happened. Uh, do all kids think that way when they're at a camp? I think do so. Do a golf cart with a walkie-talkie. <laughs> He's got a walkie-talkie run. <laughs> the response to the matter was probably the weirdest thinking back on it. After we told our stories to the camp manager, he looked at us in complete shock. He was speechless. The guy goes on to say goes on to say who can stay the rest of the week and have a really fun time and like five or six of us were adamant that we wanted home now which thinking about it is pretty bad on the camp because my parents totally could have been on vacation instead of shipping me off for the two weeks he then goes on to tell us that before the camp there was a horse ranch mainly and that one of the horse rancher's daughters used to feed the horses daily One day, she was sitting on a railing, and a horse came up from behind her, wanting food, and she got scared and fell forward down the hill, breaking a bunch of bones, and died. My parents picked me up within two hours, and the car ride home was silent. I brought this up to my mother recently, and she was completely dumbfounded. My mom told me she was called from the camp manager that night, saying that a big fight erupted, and that me and a few other boys were harassing the other campers. I don't know what to make of it, but it was real to six eight-year-old boys. Like, that's, okay, that's The fact that, like, the manager told this kid, like, hey, one time there was this girl that lived here and Mm -hmm. this happened to her and that's what you just saw, but hey, I'm going to tell your mom that you got into a fight, so figure it out. Like, if that ain't the biggest cover-up ever. That's terrifying. Can you imagine, Mm -hmm. like, some, like, freaking contortioned up person like falling down a freaking hill coming at you. It makes me think of the ring. Yeah, when she like rolls down the freaking mm. stairs and she's like all creepy. Ugh. 
Oh, I hate that. Or the grudge when they're, like, crawling down the halls. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh, that's so crazy. Oh. Yeah. And it's crazy to think that that happened, and this guy just didn't talk about it for years until he's an adult, and then he talks about it to his mom, and she has a completely other story. Like, she just spent all these years thinking that he just that got, he got into a, a fight. fight. She, and she, he was probably so confused on the silent car ride being like, do they just not want to talk about ghosts? Not, little does he know that they're pissed at him because he got into a fight, but really he just, he was so scared he wanted to go home. Poor guy. He probably got into so much trouble when he got home and had no idea what was happening. Wow, that's messed up. Okay, so my turn for my story. So um, mine is more of a darker topic um, than I think that we've done. It has to do with murder. Um. And, you know, we're more of a ghosty paranormal podcast than a murder one. But um, first, I just want to say that on researching this story, there's an entire website dedicated to this story, which creeps me the fuck out because it is in detail. I mean, like, papers of, like, people's testimonies at court and, like, weird pictures of, like, the uh, crime scene that you, like, can't see anywhere, obviously not of, like, bodies or anything, but, like just weird to me um and it really creeped me out it almost felt like I found my way onto like the dark web but I mean like I literally just googled and the website was super old looking creepy I don't know it just like gave me weird vibes um but um my story takes place in Cookson Hills Oklahoma the area is described as rugged with dissected plateau um which just means like super jagged it's kind of been uh corrosion has made it all ugly I guess Um, and numerous peaks and ridges. The isolation and solitude of the area can be disorienting, um, and it comes quickly right as you step off the path. So people have said that the second you go off the path, you are going to get lost in the woods that this area is. Um, The brush and trees are extremely thick, and it makes visibility very low, and when the wind blows during, like, through this, like, thick brush and trees, it plays tricks with you, and a lot of people have been said to see things out there that don't exist. Um, interesting thing is that this place was also home to several bank robbers and gangs during the Depression area. Notable people are Charles Arthur, aka Pretty Boy, the James Brothers, and the Dalton Gang. So, what better place to put a camp for, you know, a whole bunch of Girl Scouts I'm tracking. than <laughs> the middle of the woods with a whole bunch of, um, ex-robbers that used to live there. I mean, obviously they're not in there anymore, but still... Well, yeah, they were. The, when did the Depression... No, 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 that's not... I don't know history that well, so <laughs> don't talk about that. Um, so, this is Camp Scott. Camp Scott was opened in 1928 as a Girl Scout camp. Girls ages 7 to 18 attended this camp, and Camp Scott was considered a magical place for girls who came for the summer for a retreat. It was... Um, it offered things like hiking, crafting, swimming, and so much more to the girls, and the camp covered over 400 acres... So you think 140, right? Your number was like 140. This thing had 400 acres of land out in the wilderness, the middle of nowhere. entire state. I know, right? It could host up to 140 campers with 30 staff members. And the camp was made up of several different campsites, each with tents made of wood and base. And um, our story takes place off of the Cookie Trail Road, home to 10 camping sites. So they had like sites for each age group and then in that site had 10 little homes and each home could fit 
in uh, two bunk beds of four girls. Mm-hmm. So at Camp Scott, the girls were allowed to pick their own camp buddies. So you would get paired up with your age group and then you could pick who you wanted in your tent. Um, the tents had no lighting except for what the girls brought with them, so flashlights. And then outside of the camp tents were little kerosene lanterns that were hung near each of the tents. On June 13th, number 13, 1977, Camp Scott opened for its 49th season, a season that would actually be its last. At some point in the dark night, three young campers were brutally murdered in their tent. Lori mm-hmm. Farmer, Michelle Guise, and Doris Miller. Lori's, oh my god. Lori, yep. Lori was eight, Michelle was nine, and Doris was ten. Near midnight, the night of the girls' deaths, camp counselor Carla heard a strange guttural sound coming from the, wood, the dark of the woods. She went for a quick look and found nothing out of the ordinary and returned to bed. And she would actually be the counselor who would discover the bodies of the three little girls the next day. Mm-hmm. The girls had been pulled from their tents, beaten, strangled, and left for dead. Two of them had actually been stuffed back in their sleeping bags, and the third one was found laying on the trail. The crazy thing about this horrific murder is that two months prior to this whole thing happening, the counselors were at camp for training, so they come two months before to get ready for the camp and learn all the things. While at training, one of the tents was completely ransacked and a handwritten note was left behind. What was on the note? A warning saying that three campers were to be murdered in the next Mm. weeks to come. And the manager thought that this was just a hoax and just some of the other counselors were playing tricks on one another to just scare them. And nothing was ever done about it. It wasn't reported. Nothing was done. They just let it go. One week before the murders, a local farmer reported to police that his house had been broken into. Uh, Later during the murder investigation, they would find out some of the property that was stolen was actually used in the crime from this, like, break-in that happened. After the bodies were discovered, the camp directors altered, um, altered, the camp directors alerted the highway patrol and law enforcement flocked to the scene. It was believed that Lori and Michelle were killed inside of the tent while Doris was taken into the woods where she would be killed. On further inspection, that, um, they had found that the killer had tried to haphazardly clean the area with a towel, which would also be stuffed into the sleeping bag with the girls. The remaining campers were put on buses and sent home that morning. Although the murder had reached news stations, none of the victims were released. Um, so no one knew who the victims were. Oh my Can you God. imagine, like, being, you're getting this message from your kid's camp saying that your kids are being rushed outside of town. They're going to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And you have no idea which kid is a victim of this horrific thing. Um, so the investigation starts. Um... The investigation brought the police to a cave where stolen items were found, along with photos that would actually link the case back to a guy named Jean Leroy Hart. Now, Hart had a history of violence, which included rape, burglary, and even kidnapping. So this guy really seemed like he was the one. Now, get this. The man had been released in 1969, but was soon after arrested again for doing, like, burglary and kidnapping or whatever and sentenced to 50 years in prison but he freaking escaped and vanished (gasps) right around the time that camp was happening yep 
So um, something that's of an importance to this whole thing is kind of like the origin of Hart. He was Native American of Cherokee ancestry and was born and raised in Locust Grove, which is right in the same area that this camp is at. And he was said to have known the area very well. This guy managed to hide in the area where the camp was for 10 months without ever being found by the police. The sad thing, though, is even though with the evidence they had that linked him to the camp, even though they found stuff that linked the two of them together, camp and the sky, nothing was found at the exact scene of the crime. So nothing was found with the girls, just in the area. Because of this, the jury could not find any conclusive evidence and Hart was acquitted and he returned to prison to finish the the sentence he escaped from. But two months later, he died of a heart attack. Good figure. Now you might be asking yourself, okay, Megan, how does this even connect with paranormal and what does this have to do with the paranormal podcast? Things are get weird. While investigating, police and security mentioned several times that they had seen what looked to be of a silhouette of a man walking through the woods. When they would go towards the silhouette, they would find nothing in the area, completely gone. After seeing the silhouettes several times, they hired tracking dogs to help facilitate the search. When the guards would see the man, they would send the dogs out, and the dogs would find the scent of whatever was being seen, take off running, and would end up right outside the Kiowa unit. And the Kiowa unit is where the girls were. That's where the girls were found. Um, and then nothing. The scent would just be gone. So the dogs would grab the scent, run after it, get back to exactly where the girls were murdered, and then there would be nothing there. It would be completely disappeared. And this didn't just happen once. It happened a number of times. Sometimes... Um, the dogs would get so lost and confused, they would run after, and then all of a sudden, the dogs would look up at the sky as if the person or thing that they were chasing had simply gone into the air and disappeared. Oh, wow. The security team started to tie strings to trees to help track where they had been seeing this so-called man, only to come back the next day and find where they had put the string. The string had been broken in half or ripped <laughs> up. Oh, wow. One explanation for strain occurrences happening are skinwalkers. And we've talked about skinwalkers before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's episode Aliens where we talked about the Skinwalker Ranch. Um, so there was an agent on the case. His name was Agent Harvey Pratty. And he was working undercover on the Camp Scott case. So he was in the area, the surrounding area, trying to get more information if anyone knew anything. And he had been hearing around town from various people, including deputies at a local county jail that Hart had the ability to change his form and shapeshift into an animal. People actually believed he could shapeshift. Oh, wow. There's actually a documentary on this whole investigation where Hart appears, uh, where Hart apparently taunts a jailer saying he could slip through the bars and get out if he wanted to. Now, the first time, (laughs) Hart actually escapes from jail twice. The first time Hart escaped from jail, he, like, saw through the, uh, the jail cell or whatever, the second time that he escaped, they have no, they don't know. So the time that he escaped and, and got to the camp with the girls, they have no idea how he got out. There was no, like, he didn't break through anything. It, it, there's no explanation. The cell was locked. He just got out somehow. Hmm. So during this investigation, the agents uh, looked at different ways to find the guy. And so they seeked help from a medicine man. Um, and the longer Hart stayed a free man, the longer he was on the run, the more mm-hmm. the agents relied on the medicine men to help them. So they actually had a few um, medicine men help them. And the reason why they got a few of them was to make sure that everything that they were saying aligned with like their practice. Just to make sure that it wasn't just um, 
they weren't just finding some random guy that said that they were a medicine man. They wanted to make sure that it was legit. So one of the medicine men who helped um, them in this case, his name was Crying Wolf. Now there's another agent, his name is Wilkerson. And Wilkerson had asked him several times if he believed that Hart was a skinwalker. And many Native Americans uh, believe in skinwalkers. And although Wilkerson kept asking Crying Wolf, Crying Wolf refused to discuss anything that had to do with the skinwalker. Um, He kept saying, no, I don't believe Hart is one, but I don't want to discuss skinwalkers with you. And the reasoning why is because if they don't trust you, if they don't know you and they don't trust who you are and they don't have enough information about you, they're not going to talk to you about skinwalkers and fear that you are a skinwalker testing Mm -hmm. them. So he kept quiet and he said, I don't think he's one. I don't believe it, but I'm not going to discuss skinwalkers with you because I just don't want to go there. So another crazy occurrence that happened was also a reason for thinking Hart was a shapeshifter. So another reason why people thought he was one is every time they would investigate this area, there was always a black dog running around. So there was times where they would see like a silhouette of a, of a man, like this black mm-hmm. silhouette, and then all of a sudden a black dog would come out from the woods. And they couldn't figure out what the connection was. And several investigators had actually seen it. So it just wasn't one guy. It was multiple people seeing it. And it actually is said that if you go back to this area today, there is said to be a black dog still roaming the woods. And people think that maybe it's the spirit of heart still roaming the area. Now, I know what people are thinking. They never found the killer. They didn't. So it's still considered an open case, I guess you could say, but one like a cold case where they don't have any answers. Mm -hmm. Um, This happened in the late 70s, so technology has changed. And thanks to technology changing, they've actually had two attempts to try to figure out the DNA that they found the crime scene that didn't connect to the girls. Unfortunately, both attempts were technically considered um, unsuccessful. The first one, they actually couldn't find any DNA connection because... The way that they kept the DNA for 30 years or so, or sorry, the way that they kept the DNA from the 70s into the 80s was so bad that it actually corrupted all of the usage. And then because of the way they kept the DNA, they tested again in 2008, and the DNA was again considered corrupt because of the way that they were storing the DNA. But a crazy thing is that the DNA that they found did show female DNA and it didn't connect to any of the three girls someone else's DNA was involved in the murder and a creepy thing is Lori's mother was quoted to say that she always felt a female presence involved in the killing of the three girl scouts but she couldn't put her finger on it like maybe it was like one of the counselors yeah maybe it was one of the counselors that freaking found like how do you wake up in the middle of the night and hear like a creepy guttural sound and just be like going to bed Mm-hmm. Go My ahead. other question, too, is with the black dog running around, like, you said early in the story that there was police dogs mm-hmm. helping look. Mm-hmm. I wonder how the police dogs, like... Reacted to it? Reacted to the black... If, or if they ever had the opportunity to, or how they would have reacted. Yeah. If it was a shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. The website that I was on had so much information. Like, I literally could have written, like, a freaking book with everything that they had. There's actually three books out there, two that are published, one that's, like, hard to find, and Mm -hmm. two documentaries on this because it's such a crazy case. 
And this is actually why majority of camps that you stay at, stay at always have a counselor either in the room with you mm-hmm. or in, like, the building with you because yeah. of this whole murder that happened. Because a lot of people are like, I've always had a camp counselor. Apparently, too, there was, like, a, a Boy Scout camp down the road, and they thought that a whole bunch of Boy Scouts did it as, a, like, a prank and mm-hmm. didn't mean to kill the girls. Um, but there's just, like, no evidence. It's really, really sad, especially being so young and, like, I mean, when I was reading it, it was scary. It was, like, sad to see the word brownies. Like, mm. those are the baby Girl Scouts. I was a brownie. Yeah, it's sad. Mm. But um, it's kind of interesting that it related back to, like, skinwalkers because that just mm. creeps me out. And it kind of goes with, like, the sounds that they were hearing and, like, not being able to trust anyone and... And it sucks that the freaking guy, they catch him, and he goes back to prison, and he freaking dies. Yeah. It makes me kind of nervous to be sitting by a window right now. Don't look outside. Um, so, we also have another story that has to do with a bar, because you know that's what we like to do here. We like to discuss mm-hmm. a bar. So, after a very sad, very dark, very morbid discussion, mm-hmm. we're going to go do a bar discussion. So, Side step. Right, sidestep. As you guys know, um, I live in California, and Hillary just discussed a bar, or a, sorry, a camp in Malibu, and we're going to be talking about Duke's Malibu. Duke's Malibu was opened in 1996 in Malibu, California. It's a Hawaiian-inspired restaurant, and you can go for Aloha Hour every day, Monday through Friday, from 4 to 6 p.m., and they have island nights every day from 4 p.m. to close. They also serve brunch on Sundays, and I looked at the menu because, of course, when I go eventually, I'm going to get the coconut-crusted French toast. <laughs> coconut-crusted French toast. Uh, so everyone, everyone should go. Tell me how it is. Hang out. Get a drink. Maybe you'll go. To, I think there's one in Hawaii. Go to Hawaii. Get some stuff from there. Watch the waves. Chill back. You know. Whatever. <laughs> um, so, when you go, everyone let me know how it is, and when you book a table, be sure to add an extra person because this place is haunted. Now, don't get offended if you get an extra seat at your table or next to at the bar and someone decides to join you. Guests often have ghostly waitstaff that will occasionally stop by to check on them and see if they need anything else. These ghosts are so great at hospitality that one man left a review about his experience, and this is the review. My mother and I enjoyed some appetizers and a drink on the patio after an hour of amazing food and refreshing ocean air. We kindly prepared to leave. My mother stepped away to use the the restroom, and I decided to catch up on emails. As I was busy catching up, I heard a pleasant female voice ask kindly, Is there anything else I can get for you? I quickly responded, No, thank you, and finished reading the final sentence of the email I was reviewing. I then quickly looked up to make eye contact with a voice I had just heard offer further assistance, only to find that there was no one in sight. After a few moments, the server returned and kindly offered to bring us our bill. I then proceeded to ask if moments earlier she asked if I needed anything else, and she quickly responded, no, with a confused look. I then knew that I had my first interaction with an unknown phenomenon. I then asked if this place was haunted and explained that what just had happened to me, and she then asked that I speak to the manager who confined the common ghostly occurrences. Confined. The building had been different sources of entertainment in its lifespan. It was called the Sea Lion for 40 years before it became Duke's Malibu. 
The owner of the sea lion was also known as the captain. He never missed a day of work in all those 40 years, so when he agreed to sell it to Duke's current owner, the agreement was that the captain could remain the head manager. The captain lived until the ripe age of 99 years old, but continued to live on his afterlife. At his bar, he cherished so much. I guess because it's life's work. Gosh. <laughs> Staff of Dukes often have run-ins with the captain. He can be heard fussing over how customers are being served or how bartenders bartenders are pouring drinks. The staff shake it off and keep moving. They recount that he often had the same attitude while alive and working, so it's easier for them to shrug it off. There's also another haunt that isn't as easy to identify. Another entity that haunts the bar is an apparition of a lady. She can often be seen drifting along the window that is 300 feet long in the dining room, peering out into the ocean. This one is kind of funny, but she can also be seen guarding the ladies' room and doesn't allow any men to pass through, which, women, if you're going to hang around in the century, you better get with the times, but also funny. Overall, I didn't find any negative energies or hauntings while learning about Duke's Malibu. So if you're in California or surrounding areas, feel free to stop by. It actually sounds like a cool place. Malibu is not that far from me, so... Maybe you I should go. go do an investigation. You should. It's like an, like an hour and some minutes away. You should have like recorded this episode there. <laughs> right. <laughs> just see, how creepy would that be if like you just heard the sky being like, no press, <laughs> no entertainment. Hey, ma'am. And there's no one there. Um, I'm pretty sure I've been to a Dukes before. I'm almost positive, but I can't. I don't want to be for certain. But it wasn't haunted. Terrible service. So Dukes Malibu. I hope you're better. No. <laughs> Should I get that out? <laughs> okay. okay. Um, well, I guess we could end this episode with a listener story. Wow, we have a listener story. Yeah, and guess what? Her name is Megan, and she has the story of a little girl haunting. Ooh, creepy. Okay. Okay. Ready. So, it starts off as, hey, wanted to send you guys over some of my paranormal experiences. Throughout my entire life, I've had some crazy paranormal experiences. Almost all my life, I've lived in what I thought were haunted houses. There was always paranormal activity happening in my house, even dating back to when I was a young toddler. How do you remember that? I would always wake my mom up saying there was some person either in our living room or bedroom. Upon much, upon much research later, and mainly after I met my husband, we found out that I could be sensitive. So I'm still looking actively into this. The older and older I get, the more intrigued I am by the paranormal. So I'm starting to dive deep into everything. One particular experience I had was at my grandmother's house. She's been living in that house since the 1970s, and we were all pretty much raised in that house. We lived there a couple of years when I was in the fifth grade, so I was pro- I had to be about 10. My mom had this old school glider rocking chair in the room, and rocking I also... Chair. Sh- never a good mm-hmm. idea. Never, never get a chair. I also shared this room with my younger sister. One night I woke up. Without fail, I wake up in the middle of the night no matter what, always. Sometimes I'm able to go back to sleep, and sometimes I can't. Like, I'm probably wake up tonight. I'll probably wake up tonight. Anyways, I heard crying and thought it was my sister. 
I woke up and saw a little girl around seven or eight sitting in the glider with her head in her hands, crying, dressed in old-time white nightgown and a bonnet. Reminded me of the sister from Hocus Pocus that the witches kill in the beginning of the movie, that type of attire. As soon as I was able to yell for my mom, she vanished when I turned back around. Years later, when I was about 14 in a completely different house, in a completely different state, and I was in my living room. I was working late on a school project when I heard the same crying. I looked up and the same girl was standing in the hall. Same dress, same attire, same everything. But this time she was staring right at me. Ugh. Had to, I had to check behind me. <laughs> I know. Hillary, we're on FaceTime and Hillary just like looked behind her as she said that sentence. I don't like it. Ugh. I yelled for my mom, and once again, she vanished. Forward years later, what? Flash forward? I don't know. Years later, (laughs) I haven't seen her since that night, but I'm currently living with my grandma, and I have two younger brothers around the ages of five. Last summer, they came down, and one of them said to me, Hey, Megan, did you see that girl? Why is she here? I said, Who? what does she look like and he described the girl the same exact way as i saw her long white gown with a bonnet long straight blonde hair with icy blue eyes and always crying it's you don't um, what i don't know cry <laughs> jeez the scary you don't have to tell everyone that i cry every day hillary gosh the scary thing is that she he says she hides in the closet Hell the fuck no, my eye is in the closet right now. We have too many scary things in the closet. Still haven't seen her since, but now my brothers and I live all live in the same house, so I wonder. But this is just one of the countless experiences I have had with the paranormal. Her time period clothing makes sense because the area we live in is on the eastern coast of North Carolina, and upon tons of research, I found a lot of settlers pass through here when they would make their way out west. I started thinking it was more me than the houses I was living in because my husband never really experienced paranormal stuff until he started dating and eventually marrying me. I think this runs in my family, though, because my mom and grandma both have heavy paranormal stuff happen to them. Wow. It's pretty creepy to have a little freaking kid that haunts your closet. We're, we're familiar with that, huh? Yeah, it's not a good feeling. And it's not a good feeling for your closets, man. Go away. And when when we were getting ready for like the thirteen nights of Halloween, I think I think I told you this. Within a span of like forty eight hours, I've had two huge things fall off my wall and shatter. My couch ripped, and my dog got sick and stained my rug. So all within forty eight hours time since we've been like discussing. Since we these decided to areas. do this whole thing based on the number 13 which goes back to Mm -hmm. our first episode the number 13 you know we're gonna have 13 days of haunts ourselves i haven't had well knock on wood i'm gonna say i haven't had anything scary happen to me i'm knocking on wood that's very loud sorry um (laughs) hopefully nothing crazy happens to me don't know well actually you know what happened to me today before we end this actually (laughs) i don't know where that little accent came out today um 
freaking driving to work, right? And this massive freaking dump truck is in front of me. Kind of like cuts me off, gets over to the left. No big deal, whatever. I'm a great driver. Just kidding. No, I'm not. And I kind of break a little bit. And the freaking biggest fucking boulder, swear, size of my head, big head, comes out of this freaking dump truck perfectly bounces off the road now i'm going like 60 i can't stop and i'm not that far behind him because like you know two car rule and it perfectly bounces and hits under my car (gasps) and i just kind of like is my car still running yes can i make it to work i hope is my car probably destroyed under there Mm -hmm. am i gonna look no (laughs) but (laughs) that is that is how my Tuesday started, and my dog ate my beauty blender, so, you know, but that's it. Those are, like, small little occurrences. I mean, the boulder was a freaking big one, and I'm really mad that that thing came flying at my car. Could have been worse. Could have gone through the freaking windshield, but my engine could be destroyed, and I just driving, or I could have a freaking bent axle, and my wheel falls off tomorrow. Yeah, you'll probably find out in the next few days. I'll probably find out in the next few days. I'm also, I mean, I'm going to talk about him again, but it's fine. I also feel like since we are back at it, you know, hey, there's probably like, the fuck have you been? Where have Mm -hmm. you been? You left me. He got so used to like the attention. Now he's just needy. You know what's so weird though? Um, I had a friend at work. It was so interesting. It's like right around the time that I was like, we were talking about 13 days of Halloween and she was like, she just randomly asked me, she was like, Hey, you're doing your podcast, right? Like right after Hillary and I were like, what are we going to do? And I was like, Whoa, that's weird. Like how the frick does she know? I haven't Mm -hmm. talked about it. She's like, I've been having these really weird things happen to me. I've Mm -hmm. always had these weird things happen and they've been happening a lot lately. And I just really think I need to listen to your podcast. I think will like really help me understand some of the crazy things happening. This girl has been seeing a man who with a burnt face her entire life. Mm -mm. No. Apparently this dude, she will be asleep in her bed and open her eyes and he will be face to face with her. Mm. That's awful. She says that it's never tried to harm her. She says that there's times where she can feel it sitting on the edge of her bed, just sitting there. And she that doesn't sounds see like anything. a demon. Well, don't say that. I just got chills. <laughs> well, don't be. say that. You're Ugh. talking about it. <laughs> I know. She doesn't think that it's, from what I got from her, her mm-hmm. family thinks that it's something trying to, like, ask for help, almost. And that it's, like, stuck, and it can only talk to her kind of or thing. it's tricking her. Dude, but my brain never went that direction, and now I'm not going to be able to sleep because I'm just going to think about this fucking demon that's haunting my coworker. Sorry, Megan's coworker. I didn't mean to freak you out more. My thoughts are with you. But I'll she's research. She's listening to this. <laughs> I'll she's listening to this face, man. She's crying. I'll give you a full report on everything I find. Have you guys seen Burnt Face Man? Now we're both going to have a dream about Burnt Face Man. I mean, man. Freddy Krueger. And it's in her dreams. No. <gasps> Dude, it all just I'm connected. Gonna, I'm going to talk to her tomorrow. She is going to cry. I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyways. Um, I think that should probably wrap things up. I know. Let's not talk about it anymore because <laughs> fucking Freddy Krueger is going to come in our dreams tonight. And I ain't ready to die. So, knock on wood. Um, so, pull, go ahead. Pull up your Instagram. At more booze, please. Give us a follow. Give us a like. Post. Yep. Um, find us on Facebook. 
Find us on TikTok. Find us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. Oh, if you've had any experiences with scary summer camps or Freddy Krueger and you want to tell us about your stories, send them in at morebooseplease, P-L-Z, at gmail.com. We love our listener stories. And there's a chance that we might read yours. And continue to listen for our podcast the rest of October because we are doing 13 days of Halloween. Of Halloween. It's the greatest so season tomorrow. of all time. I know. It's the most <laughs> wonderful time of the year. It really is, though. I know. I love Halloween. Okay. We'll see you right. next time. <laughs>